God, I'm saved. Hallelujah. As you remain standing, would you touch somebody's hand while we pray our Father and our God. We thank you for another day. We praise you. We glorify you. We magnify your name. We confess our sins. We've erred and strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We've done those things that we should not have done and we've left undone those things that we should have done. And we come asking for mercy. Thank you for looking beyond our faults and seeing our needs. Lord, we've got so much to be thankful for. Thank you for waking us up this morning. Thank you for starting us on our way. Thank you for life and health and strength and friends and family and food and faith. But most of all, we thank you for Jesus. And because he lives, we can face a recession. We can face depression. Because he lives, we can face ups and downs just because he lives. Now, Lord, we need you. We can't preach till the real preacher comes. Come Holy Spirit, come heavenly dove with all thy quickening powers, kindle the flame of sacred love in these cold hearts of ours. Holy Spirit, you're welcome in this place. Holy Spirit, you're welcome in this place. Holy Spirit, you're welcome in this place. Send your anointing. Make sense out of nonsense. Touch hearts today. Break every yoke in this building that will destroy this service. Pray that you would give us power to preach your word. That souls will be saved and lives will be changed. In the name of Jesus, we claim the anointing. In the name of Jesus, we shout amen and praise the Lord. Put your hands together and praise the Lord. He's worthy to be praised. Like a ship that's tossed and driven, I've been battered by an angry sea. When the storms of life are so hard to run Then I say to my soul Don't you worry The Lord will make a way The Lord will make a way When beneath the cross I'll away your sorrow if you 
whatever you're going through, the Lord will. The Lord will make a way. Hallelujah. You may be seated. How many know the Lord will make a way? He'll open doors that nobody can close. Has he made a way for anybody here? If he's made a way for you, say hallelujah. Say thank you, Jesus. Glory, hallelujah. Let me thank Charles Blake Jr. for that kind and generous introduction. And to Bishop Blake in absentia, my great friend, for more than 35 years, we've pastored here together and shared together. And I love him with every atom of my being. You have a wonderful pastor. He's a Rolls Royce of a man, a Cadillac of a preacher, and a 747 of a bishop. Come on, put your hands together. Praise God for your leadership. To the clergy and to the staff of this marvelous church, I'm just glad to be here. When Bishop Blake called me and said to me Wednesday morning, I had preached in Phoenix, Arizona. Methodist preachers have to go everywhere, amen. Preached in Phoenix, Denver, St. Louis, state of Washington, and I got back home and I said, I got a Sunday off. And I'm gonna slip over to Bishop Blake's church and hear him preach and go back home and watch the Lakers beat the Nuggets. Bishop Blake called and said, man, I got to go to Brazil to bury another bishop, and would you please come and preach? And you can't say no. You can't say no to Bishop Blake. Plus, I love to come to West Angeles because you all have more energy than any church I've ever been to. You know, sometimes in our church, we act sophisticated and uptown and upscale. But when I get here, I can pull my shoes off. I can shout glory. And I can praise the Lord like I want to. But let me get on with preaching, amen, because I don't plan to preach too long because I still want to get home. Amen. If you would turn quickly, please, to the 19th chapter of Genesis. And that's an easy one to find, isn't it? Amen. You can't find that when you need to come to Bible study in a hurry. When you get it, say amen. 
I'm just going to read a few verses. The two angels arrived at Sodom in the evening and Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. Amen. And I'm going to move over to verse 12. How many got it? So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-laws who were pledged to marry his daughters. He said, hurry and get out of this place because the Lord is about to destroy the city. But his sons-in-laws thought he was joking. With the coming of dawn, the angels urged Lot saying, hurry, take your wife and your two daughters who are here or you will be swept away when the city is punished. When he hesitated, the men grasped his hand and the hands of his wife and his two daughters and led them safely out of the city for the Lord was merciful to them. As soon as they had brought them out, one of them said, flee for your lives. Don't look back and don't stop anywhere in the plain. Flee to the mountain, amen, or you will be swept away. But Lot said to them, no, my lords, please, your servant has found favor in your eyes and you have shown great kindness to me in sparing my life. But I can't flee to the mountains. This disaster will overtake me and I'll die. Look, here is a town near enough, amen, to run to. And it is small. Let me flee to it. It is very small. Isn't it? Then my life will be spared. Here's what I want to talk about briefly this morning. The Lord has given me this to talk to you about this morning. Be careful where you park. Look at somebody and tell them, be careful where you park. I want to acknowledge before I go any further, my wife of 46 years. Mary, stand up so they can see you. Amen. Be careful where you park. Frequently, we see signs as we travel the streets of our cities and the signs say sometimes no standing, no parking, tow away zone. And if we don't observe the signs, you may be ticketed. In fact, many years ago, and this is pulpit honesty, I went to the Fox Hill Mall to purchase my second child a bicycle. I called the store and informed them that I was on my way and that they should have everything ready for me. When I arrived at the mall, there was only one parking space near the store, and it was a handicapped space. And even though I saw the sign, I parked there anyway. I went into the store, only stayed about 10 minutes and came out only to discover that my car was gone. I thought it had been stolen. 
But someone sent me to security and security said to me, your car has been towed to the Marina Del Rey and it will cost you $52 to retrieve it. I had simply parked in the wrong place. Anybody here honest enough to admit that you have parked in the wrong place? And you know, my brothers and sisters, life is pretty much like that. Frequently is the warning and clear are the signs. No parking. And if you park in the wrong place, you run the risk of being fined by stunted growth and arrested development. One writer reminds us that life is not a parking lot. Look at somebody and tell them, life is not a parking lot. Look at somebody and tell them, life is not a cemetery. Life is not a museum. Life is more like a gymnasium or an arena. Life demands progress and growth. Move or lose. Grow or die. It is a temptation to park occasionally in the wrong place. Amen. Sometimes students park beside bad grades. Amen. And it shows up in your educational pursuits later on. Preachers sometimes park beside tall steeples and large parking lots. As the bishop of several African Methodist churches, I hear preachers standing on the church grounds talking about how many members they got and how many professional people in that church as if they don't need to be saved. Teachers sometimes park beside their accomplishments and churches sometimes park beside their impressive budgets. But life demands that we constantly grow so that we might narrow the gap between where we are and where we ought to be. Take a look at your life. Take a look at your life. Don't look at anybody else's, but take a look at your life today. And see how wide is the gap of what we are over against what we can become. Now our scripture this morning illuminates the fact that one can park in the wrong place. God called Abraham to be the father of the faithful. And he sent him to a land of promise. And of course, he carried his wife, Sarah, with him. And he carried his nephew, Lot, with him. But after a while, trouble brewed in the family. And families do have trouble. Abraham's herdsmen and Lot's herdsmen uh, started fussing among each other. Can I get a witness? And in their 
troubled times. Abraham said to Lot, it's time for us to separate. And sometimes it's necessary to separate from some folk. Sometimes it's necessary to separate from your children. You don't have to stop loving them, but when they can't do what you ask them to do in your house. I wish I had some help here. It might be time for separation. So he said, Lot, if you go to the north, I'll go to the south. If you go uh, to the east, I'll go to the west. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. And the scripture tells us that Lot looked toward Sodom. That Lot pitched his tent in Sodom. And Lot sat at the gate of Sodom. In spite of Sodom's bad reputation, Lot looked, Lot pitched, and Lot sat in the gates of a doomed town. Sodom was so wicked that the smell had reached God's nostrils. And God decided to burn it down. Do I have a witness here? God decided to burn this wicked city down. It was so wicked that when the angels showed up and they followed Lot home, they tried to break the door down, the perverted folk. I wish I had some help. Tried to break the door down and so much so that the angels had to blind them. And their lust was so great that even in their blindness, they were still trying to tear the door down to get to some men. And Lot had to give them his daughters. That was wicked. What a commentary. Here was Abraham, the father of the faithful, on a hill, praying with his eyes, looking for a city not made with hand. And his nephew, Lot, was staking claims on grass, on dirt, and real estate in a town that was about to go up in smoke. Abraham was on the move, looking for a city. Amen. Lot was parked in a no-parking zone, in a doomed town. Abraham was pleading with God to spare the city, while Lot was parked in the wrong place. My brothers and my sisters, Satan delights in devouring, detouring, detaining, and destroying the sons and daughters of the prominent and the promising. So my brothers and sisters, if you parked in the wrong place, the Lord is saying to you today, get up and get out of there before destruction takes place. If you're parked in the wrong place of arrogance, quit being so arrogant because you ain't all of that. If you're parked in the wrong place of selfishness, 
Get up and get out of your selfishness because it's not about you. It's about God. If you're in an extramarital relationship, you need to get up. Get out of there before God burns the town down. So my brothers and sisters, my message to you is be careful where you park. You might end up being towed away by some destructive force in your life. Now in case you've parked in the wrong place, let me give you a couple of things that you can take home with you. I call them takeaways that can help you as you move down the road of life. First of all, be sure you hear and heed the divine invitation. Amen. Be sure you hear and heed the divine invitation. God invites Lot to come to the hill country. He had left his uncle Abraham because he was grass happy. Anybody here ever been grass happy? He looked out and saw how well the place was watered and how beautiful the vegetation was and he got grass happy because everything that glitters is not gold. He had an eye for an apparent bargain. He had chosen the flatlands. But then the invitation came to seek the high road and to live in the hills. He says, the angel said to him, leave Sodom. Don't stop in the plains. Escape to the mountains. And what a call. What a mighty invitation. And whether you know it or not, this invitation comes to every man, every woman, every boy, and every girl. God is saying, you're invited to leave the lowlands and move on up a little higher. And when one lives his life according to God's plan, one's fare has already been paid. But if he chooses to live his life his own way, he would have to pay his own fare. When God calls you to the hills or to the mountains, your lunch and your equipment have already been arranged. But you must break from whatever lowlands of temptation or habits that bid and bind you and trust God to provide for you. When God calls you to high places of service, arrangements have already been made for your journey. Your fare is already paid. Your mountain lunch is already packed. And all you need to do is pick up your hill climbing gear and turn your face away from the lowlands. It is as simple as this. Park in the wrong place and you pay. 
Put your mind in the parking gear. Pull up your emergency brakes of your plans, your dreams, and your ambitions. And life will write you a stagnation ticket. Life will write you a ticket of arrested development. God is calling us to a high thing of life. He's calling young people to higher education. Young folk, you must make education a priority. You cannot afford to be ignorant in this culture. You cannot betray your ancestors by trying to party your way through college and university. Your ancestors sacrificed that you might get an education and you can't abort your education by playing around and wasting your time. It'll come back to haunt you later. I was in school with a guy who had been in college seven years and he had become an embarrassment to the university. And they said to him, his name was Bubba. They said to Bubba, Bubba, we're going to give you a simple test. You'll become an embarrassment to the school. We want to graduate you. We got your cap and your gown. We got your degree over here. If you can pass this simple test, we're going to grant you your degree. So Bubba, can you tell me, can you name the days of the week that start with the same letter of the alphabet? He scratched his head and he said, I got it, today and tomorrow. I said, well, Bubba, you failed that. We're going to give you something very simple. Can you spell the word before? He said, I got it. He said, B-E-F-O-R-E. -E. He said, Bubba, you got it. Now put it in a sentence. And he says, two and two be four. God is calling you young people to make education a priority in your life because you cannot compete with the society in which we live with a stubborn brain. I wish I had some help here. God is calling us to live above alcohol. He's calling us to live above drugs. He's calling us to live above uncontrolled sexual desires. So young girl, if you girls are here when that boy approaches you for sex, tell him to wait till you finish high school. When he comes back after high school, tell him to wait till you finish college. When he comes back after college, tell him to wait till you finish professional school. When he comes back after professional school, tell him to wait till he finishes all of the above gets a job, puts a ring on your finger, march you down a church aisle, take you on a honeymoon, then and only then can you knock yourself out with sex. 
Because young lady, that boy will promise you a round trip ticket to the moon and nine months later, he'll get locked jaw and amnesia. Hallelujah. God is calling us to live above uncontrolled sexual behavior. He's calling us to the mountains of clean living. He's calling us to the mountain of going back to church. Calling us to the mountain of praising God without being ashamed of the power of God. And tell that person sitting beside you, if they want to act sophisticated, just get back out of my way because you don't know like I know what the Lord has done for me. You weren't there when he picked me up and turned me around and placed my feet on higher ground. And that's why I can say hallelujah. If it had not been for the Lord on my side, tell me, where would I be? Hallelujah. First point is, hear and heed the divine invitation. God is calling you to get up out of that city before he destroys it. There's a second thing that I want to lift this morning before going to my seat. Uh, the second thing is quit making excuses. Look at somebody and tell them, quit making excuses. Lot used an excuse to justify his mediocrity. He said, I cannot escape to the mountains lest some evil overtake me and I'm going to die. Because of Abraham's prayer, God was giving Lot a second chance. Aren't you glad God gives us a second chance? If God had not given me a second chance, I wouldn't be here this morning to tell the story of the cross. Thank God for a second chance. Gave him a chance to put his mistakes behind him. A chance to leave the lowlands and walk with Abraham to the hill country. But Lot made excuses. And I want you to listen to him again. Listen, listen to him again. Amen. He said the hills are high. The cost is demanding. The valleys are dark. The risks are many. And something evil will befall me and I'll die. And I can hear some young person saying now, I can't go to college. The cost is too high. The hours are too long. The teachers are too hard. There are no scholarships available. Don't you know we got education when scholarships were not available? There are no student loans, but excuses are for the birds. Your enemies don't believe them and your friends don't need them. You can always find a way to excuse negative behavior. 
I was born in the ghetto, so what? We all were. I never knew my daddy, but you ought to know who your father is. I'm black. And I hear so many young people complaining about being black. Sit in my office day after day. It's just hard to be black. I can't do this. I can't do that. It's hard to be black. Well, if it's hard to be black, you should have been around when we were colored. I wish I had a witness here. We made it in spite of. Because black folk are survivors. Look at somebody and tell them, I'm a survivor. You can't keep me down. We know how to cut cardboard and put in our shoes to keep the rain off of our feet. We know how to wear hand-me-down clothes. I wish I had a witness here. We know how to make gumbo. Do you know gumbo is a result of not having enough of any one thing? So you just put everything over? I wish I had some help here. Anybody know how to make gumbo? We know how to survive. And you ought to quit making excuses. We can always find a rationale for failure. You can always find the temptation to park in the wrong place. Can I get a witness? One writer said many years ago that on the plains of hesitation lie the bones of thousands. There are many men and women who sat down to the rest themselves and have sat there and died. Shakespeare talked about it. He said there is a tide in the affairs of men which taken at the flood leads to fortune omitted all the voyage of their life is bound by shallows and misery on such full sea are we now afloat therefore we must take the tide when it surges or lose our venture the tide is surging all around us you can be whatever you want to be if you want to be badly enough just trust in God he will make a way he will open doors he will lighten your load he will see you through. Can I get a witness? And I'm getting ready to close now. I got one more point. I worked on this a long time. When they called me and asked me, did I think things were better in Los Angeles since the riots in 1992? So I decided that this sermon will be a good one for now because things are better in some areas, but in other areas, it's still the same. The third point I want to lift before closing this morning is we got to learn to pray big prayers. In verse 20, we discover that Lot prayed for small things. God answered his prayer and allowed him to settle in a little town called Zor. And he lay drunk in the dust 
of a dirt-filled cave, living incestuously with his two daughters. Abraham, his uncle, had gone on following the footprints of Almighty God, looking for a heavenly city. But Lot, the bargain hunter, parked in a dirt-filled cave in a small hamlet, drunk and having sex with his two daughters. Now, who knows what Lot might have been had he had sense enough to pray a big prayer. Who knows what you or I might accomplish for good if we keep growing and striving and asking for big things. If you're going to pray to God, since he is God, don't ask for small things. Ask for the big things of the world. Young people, if you want to be president of the United States, don't ask to be the governor of California. If you want to be an architect, ask God to make you the biggest architect in the world. If you want a house, amen. Don't ask for an apartment. Somebody here is trying to help me tonight. <laughs> ask God for the big things of life. So brothers and sisters, on this marvelous day here in West Angeles, be careful where you park. Sometimes the oppressor has tried to make us feel that there's something wrong with being black. But history is replete with instances of black men and women who refuse to park in the wrong place. Can I call the roll? Can I call the roll of a few people? George Washington Carver said, don't park in the wrong place. When the Ford Motor Company offered him $100,000 a year to work for them, he chose to stay on the Tuskegee Institute campus for $1,500 a year because Carver knew he was parked in the right place. And he says he managed over 300 products in a peanut, 118 products in a sweet potato, and 75 products in pecans. Charles Drew will tell us that because of his refusal to park in the wrong place, he was able to discover blood transfusion. William Du Bois did not park in the wrong place and became a scholar, a historian, and a sociologist. Rosa Parks had character in her spine, dignity in her soul, refused to park in the wrong place, and she taught a whole nation how to stand up by sitting down. Can I get a witness? Malcolm X, Martin Luther King Jr. refused to park in the wrong place, and he said, I have a dream that everybody can be somebody. Charles Blake refused to park in the wrong place and built a church at the North Campus and built a cathedral here and now. 
Jesus the Christ refused to park in the wrong place, went to the cross, and one Friday evening he died. But early Sunday morning he got up out the grave and said, All power is in my hand. I don't know about you. I'm pressing on the upward way. New heights I'm gaining every day. Still praying as I onward bound. Lord, Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise him this morning. Hallelujah. Thank him this morning. Hallelujah. He will make a way. Hallelujah. I was in an accident a few weeks ago going to church. A young Hispanic kid came by, hit me head on, and totaled my car. And I walked out with only a swollen middle finger. And when I went to the insurance company, Allstate, to try to get my money for my car, the insurance man told me, he said, Bishop, let me show you what saved you. He said, you could be dead. He said, but your car had airbags and they deployed and they protected you from going through the steering wheel. He said, you also had your seatbelt on and I encourage everybody to keep your seatbelts on. <sighs> Hallelujah. He said, the seatbelt pulled you back in the seat and he said, your car has and I can say I had a Mercedes, amen. Uh, I had so many ragged cars that burned more oil and gas. <laughs> and he said something about the suspension that raises the motor when you hit head on that protected you. He said, and that's why you still here. I said, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You know insurance, but I know somebody. It wasn't the airbags. It wasn't the seatbelt. It wasn't the way the car is built. If it had not been for the Lord on my side, 